Welcome to episode 23 of the Strength Running Podcast with author, adventurer, entrepreneur, television host, ultra-endurance athlete, and the modern-day Indiana Jones, Dr. Simon Donato. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast, where I speak with runners, coaches, authors, and other interesting people so that you can learn from their insights and mistakes to become a better runner. And if you celebrate Easter, hope you had a great holiday with your family and friends. My family and I were hosting some family from my side of my family, and the weather couldn't be beat in Denver, Colorado for our Easter egg hunt and spending most of the day out in the backyard enjoying the sunshine. I also should mention that that sunshine had a cost. A few days ago was the Boston Marathon, and it was a scorcher. Sun, heat, humidity, every distance runner's sworn enemy. If you ran Boston, or if you know somebody who did, look, it was a tough day out there. The conditions uh, on Marathon Monday were arguably more difficult to run through than higher altitudes. So I hope you stayed safe out there and enjoyed running the most prestigious marathon in the world. All right, on to our show for today. I'm talking with Simon Donato. Simon is quite the character, a man of many pursuits, as he might say. I think of him as a modern Indiana Jones, traveling the world as a geology PhD, competing at some of the most challenging ultra-endurance events he can find. He does this primarily as the host of Travel and Escape's TV show Boundless, but also through his organization Adventure Science, which matches scientific expeditions with... Uh, endurance-oriented adventurers to advance the areas of science, conservation, the environment, and humanitarian causes. And in this conversation, we're talking all about adventure and how as runners, we have a unique opportunity to have a lot more adventure than the average person. I hope you enjoy it. This interview is actually an excerpt from Team Strength Running, where I bring in a new guest expert every month to give context to running so our members are more informed, more inspired, and have a greater depth of knowledge to make better decisions with their training. We'll actually be opening up relatively soon, so if you'd like to learn more about Team Strength Running, get on the notification list at strengthrunning.com slash TSR. That's strengthrunning.com backslash T-S-R. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Simon Donato. Simon, thanks so much for speaking with me today. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, my pleasure, Jason. So in this conversation, we're talking about adventure. And ever since we met a couple years ago at the National Endurance Sports Summit, uh, I knew you were the man to speak with when it comes to adventure. Um, you know, I want to give our listeners some of your background because uh, you're a man of many pursuits, as as you said yesterday when we first tried recording this interview. So you have a PhD in geology. You're the founder of both Adventure Science, which promotes low-impact discovery expeditions and mapping trips, among a couple other things. And you have your oatmeal company, Stoked Oats. You're also the host behind the television series, Boundless, on the Travel and Escape channel, and follows you as you compete in some of the most difficult endurance races on the planet, and that led you to write The Boundless Life, 13 Lessons Learned the Hard Way. And that's what we're talking about today, what you've learned competing in some of the most difficult races in the world, and the adventure that you've experienced because of those races. So uh, you're, you're a busy man, Simon. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, it over, it's overwhelming sometimes. Thanks for the the introduction there. Um, I do have a lot of interests, and I've tried to craft them in a way that they all feed into each other. So if I spend time on one, um, you know, it, it feeds into others, and I, I'm not just uh, working on something to the complete exclusion of of something else. It's all part of you know building a, a greater brand and profile for all of the elements that I like to spend my time on. Right. And, and, you know, that's what we're, we're really talking about today. You know, what you've, what you've learned and, you know, I usually spend my time focusing on, you know, the technical and the training aspects of running. And that's, you know, I I love that stuff. I'm such a running nerd, but you know, my passion for running really stems from the fact that it allows me more adventure in my life. You know, I can go summit peaks here in Colorado's front range where I live. You know, I've explored wooded trails and streams in the Australian outback. Uh, you know, I recently sat on a cactus in Albuquerque while I was trying to take a photo during a trail run. I don't recommend that one, but yeah, it's a good moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll keep the pictures of that private because of course <laughs> I took pictures. Now <laughs> let's start with some basics. I know you've competed in events in Iceland and the Sahara. You've literally gone all over the world. Is, is there an event that stands out to you as the most challenging that you've ever done? You know, that's obviously a loaded question. Um, and I, I've given this a lot of thought. Uh, as my former self, uh, an Exxon Mobil uh, petroleum geologist, I didn't really have a lot of time for uh, introspec- introspection. And, you know, my day was uh, mostly focused on just real, real grown up work. But uh, when I left that to focus on stoked oats, and uh, Boundless, which, by the way, I should mention is also on Esquire uh, Network, and it's on demand for your American uh, listeners. But um, that's when I really started thinking about things more and, you know, really weighing out what a difficult race was or what my favorite race uh, was at, at, at the time. And, you know, it struck me that 5Ks can be excruciatingly painful and extremely difficult depending on how hard you bury the needle just as much as you know a a real suffer fest in the Sahara Desert but if I have to put all factors together including you know physical uh, requirements you know suffer factor uh, mental grit and toughness required and then I usually like to factor in the the extra stuff like environment I have to I have to say there's two races that really stand out the uh Sahara race um near Cairo 250k over uh I think that was 5 days of running for us you know it was I've never experienced anything that hot in my life and um it was it was just brutal but beautiful and wonderful at the same time continual highs and lows and moments where you know I, I always think I can do things when I sign up I don't care how bad I may be at something I always think I can get through it I mean there were literally moments where I thought about walking a mile off course to some rock outcrop in the distance to grab some shade because it was just unbearable being in that heat around midday I mean it was it was well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and then the other race again a heat race for me was uh, kind of a a surprising sleeper. It was called the Amazing Amazon River Rafting Race, and it's a 100-mile race down the Amazon River, deep in Peru, starting in a town of Iquitos, which is the largest town that has no road access in the world. And again, it was another 
race that just turned into a massive, massive slog. Uh, teams of four on a raft, not running, but just the heat uh, got to us day in, day out. And, you know, that was a real mental battle. So uh, the Sahara was, it was a physical battle. Uh, I had to face a lot of demons there. Uh, Amazon River was certainly uh, raced in my mind before the body. Yeah, it sounds like from both races, you know, the two themes of weather and just the, the mental toughness required to complete such a long race in such adverse conditions is two of the primary reasons why they seem so difficult. Is that uh, are those the kind of two themes that run through the most difficult races that you've ever done? Well, I, I think so, uh, because, you know, you can prepare and plan for everything else. And sometimes your best planning just still doesn't get it right. I mean, our, our very first, uh, well, actually our second boundless episode, but it was our first ultra marathon, uh, multi-day stage race self-supported was in Iceland. Weather was supposed to be nice and warm, never going to go below freezing. I mean, it was in August for goodness sakes. And it was frigid there blowing winds. Uh, I mean, Fahrenheit temperatures would have been 32 to maybe 15. You know, we were prepared for warm weather. We were going extremely light in an effort to, you know, uh, kind of walk the line and uh, run fast. And we paid for it with uh, brutal sleeps, frigid days. You know, so our training was great. Um, everything would have been much better had it been warmer. So, uh, yeah, I think weather is uh, one thing that sometimes you just can't prepare for it. I mean, living in Canada, it's pretty hard to find spots that are going to be over 100 degrees consistently and, and train there. So, you know, that's just, it's just one of those things that you have to put your brain into that place where you just accept the reality and don't ever deviate from the commitment you've made to yourself, which is you're just going to finish at all costs unless, you know, you're really jeopardizing your health. And even that is a bit of a gray area as, I mean, you know, as an elite runner yourself, you know that there's a certain threshold for pain and suffering that you're going to be fine the next day. And then if you cross that, you're going to be limping or injured and that's going to affect uh, your training and your other racing goals. So you need to know yourself fairly well, I'd say, to be able to judge those moments when you're on the race course. But um, yeah, I think you've nailed it right there on, on the theme that it's those things that you can't control that ultimately control your race outcome. Yeah, and I think you know, just the the mentality that you just uh, shared with us of look, we're going to get through this, and it doesn't matter what the weather is like. It doesn't matter what's going on today. We're going to get through it. We're going to push through. I think is you know that's that's like you know the whole endurance athletes mantra, uh, and I think you really captured it there. And you know when I look back on some of the hardest races that I've that I've done, you know the first marathon I ever ran, uh, New York City was a disaster you know the the classic hit the wall at mile 20 and then the last six six miles was just you know a suffer fest and i'm running you know my easy pace for mile 25 because i'm in some so much pain but i look back on these really difficult races and i have all these fun memories from them and you know i don't really remember the the extent of you know the suffering that i was going through you know two and a half <laughs> hours into that race but that i race do remember good. when i started to get warm and took my hat off and i gave it to a cute girl on the side of the road and i said remember me 
And you know what? That little memory is, it still puts a smile on my face today. And I, you know, I don't remember any of the bad stuff. So I just wonder, you know, do you have any particular memories from all these difficult races that seem to stick with you much more than say the suffering? Yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent uh, comment. The the suffering fades. Um, I mean, it's almost like a bad relationship. You know, you only remember <laughs> the good things a year or two later. You don't remember the pain and the agony. But uh, yeah, that's so true. And I mean, I, I start my book off uh, with a chapter called "Your Worst Races Are Your Best Teachers," and I mean, I, I put it there because I firmly believe that. Um, some of my favorite races, I mean, you asked about the toughest races. Some of my personal favorites are the ones where I got shelled and I got my butt handed to me big time um, because I just learned so much from those races. I had to deal with so many ups and downs and things going uh, haywire and, and not according to plan. I mean, for example, in season one, uh, we raced in, well, actually, I raced, Turbo didn't come with me, we raced in Kenya and it was a 75 kilometer ultra on dirt roads so i mean for all intents and purposes it should have been a pretty quick race 50 miles was my sweet spot at that time and i had won a number of races in texas so i mean i had raced in fairly warm conditions but uh, i was getting over a little bit of patellar tendonitis and it flared up around uh, 50 55 kilometers into the race the heat was getting to me um you know i think just the travel schedule with boundless was getting to me and I ended up walking the last 20, 25 kilometers of that race, just, you know, feeling sorry for myself. At one point, like I was, I was teetering on the edge of dropping out. Um, and I had bumped into my uh, director who was scooting around the race course on an ATV. And he saw me limping and walking and knew we had a race the following week. And, uh, you know, being a compassionate guy and a good friend, he Simon, you know, you don't have to do this. If, if you think it's going to, hurt you for future races don't don't kill yourself here and i hate quitting so i just said well you know give me a few minutes to uh, think about it until then i really hadn't thought about quitting i just thought i was going to leg it out to the finish or crawl if i needed to but then i thought well you know my knee my knee was started acting up a little over a month ago it's sore again and uh, maybe i am doing damage to myself and you know i've got two other races in consecutive weeks and then I've got the big Egypt race in uh, a month and a half and blah, blah, blah. So maybe I'm, I'm, I could throw the whole series out the window. So I tell him when I see him again that I'm going to drop out and he says, okay, well, we'll wrap the episode then by go to the top of this hill. There's an aid station there and you can drop out at the aid station. It'll just be a nice visual. So, okay, no problem. I walk about another kilometer, get to this aid station, have a seat and, uh, this woman uh, who lives in the village, and I mean, I am talking a rural, no electricity, cow dung and stick mud hut building is uh, her home uh, villager, says, would you like a massage? I'm like, yeah, I'd like a massage. <laughs> and as, Yeah, exactly. And as I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself, I just, it kind of hit me. It's like, dude, you are so freaking lucky to be here. I mean, you're essentially... A rich North American compared to these people, and your knee is sore. Whoop de do! You know these people have comparatively nothing, yet are volunteering their time to make this a great event for you and a great experience for you. Just suck it up. So it was. It just broke at that moment. 
I wasn't going to uh, quit. And uh, like that's still probably my favorite race from the entire Boundless experience just because of that one really difficult moment and <laughs> the brutally painful 15K uh, death march that I had to endure to get to the finish because, you know, my knee wasn't, it didn't improve after that. So, yeah, those are the, those are the kind of memories that they just give you the kind of grit and strength that you need to get through life and uh, other difficult moments in races. So I think we all need those moments. You dealing with your demons as, uh, you know, an invited elite to race in one of the biggest marathons in the world and suffering and struggling through that. I mean, I'm sure it was character building and, and helped set you up for success and future events. Well, it certainly showed me uh, some things that I needed to improve for my next marathon. And you're, you're far, far too generous with labeling me an elite, but uh, I do appreciate that. Um, so, Simon, why did you get into these races in the first place? I think it's always interesting for me to hear uh, ultra endurance athletes, adventure racers, racers. I love hearing their rationale for diving into some of the most difficult events that exist on the planet. Like, do you have a tipping point or were you gradually getting into more and more extreme events uh, when you were younger? Uh, I wouldn't say there was a tipping point per se. It was more of a, uh, a gradual slide into the endurance world. As a kid, I absolutely hated running if it wasn't to something. I'd run to my friend's house because walking took too long. I'd run to the forest and through the trails because I was just so stoked to go see things. But if you put me on a track or uh, tried to cajole me into a group run uh, at my elementary school for you know cross country or something, I hated it. And I would find ways to duck out, if you can believe it. I, I really love team sports and I love the camaraderie. So... Uh, I found that in mountain biking initially in the early days, in the mid-90s. Um, I started mountain biking with my friends, and you know it was like we had a mountain biking club. I was always riding with people, and there were a lot of good moments and laughs and adventures. And that led to adventure racing, which again was a team sport. So um, I was exploring, which I always loved, and doing it with friends. And it really wasn't until and, and through adventure racing, you know, I climbed to a, a fairly uh, elite level, I suppose, racing Eco Challenge and rising up through the uh, global ranks. But um, I still didn't really consider myself an endurance athlete or uh, at least a runner until I started uh, my Ph.D. and fell in with an orienteering group. Again, not conventional running. And then when I got hired by ExxonMobil, uh, I moved out to the Canadian Rocky Mountains and literally just jumped into hiking out there because that's what you do on your weekends but the hikes became runs because you hike up something it's like well you know i could walk down or why don't i try jogging down and save myself half an hour and get to the bar that much quicker and that's that's really how i fell into ultra distance running and through adventure science um i started having questions about well you know, what's what's happening to my body when I push myself for these ultra distant events, be it adventure racing or this new longer distance running. Like I, I still vividly remember my first hour and a half, like true hour and a half run, which was with my Hamilton based running group. You know, for for months after I started training with them, I avoided the Saturday long run, which would go an hour and a half to an hour 45, usually throw down around 13 to 14 miles. And I just thought, like, are you kidding me? That's too far. 
So, yeah, it was definitely a gradual slide into it, but uh, it's it's certainly enriched my life since then. Yeah, I think some you know local five Ks might have been uh, an easier path for you, but I'm I'm glad you got into the harder stuff. And it's <laughs> it's interesting listening to how you got into it and your perspectives on running when you first started because we're like living parallel lives you know i hated running when i was in middle school you know we had track and field week i was like the 110 pound kid throwing the shot put because you couldn't get me to run the mile no matter what because i just didn't like running it was boring it it required a lot of effort which for (laughs) me i just didn't want to uh expend all that effort but then you know the the camaraderie of being on a team and and I joined a cross country team my freshman year in high school because I thought it was going to be like track and then I could high jump well cross country there's no field events it's just a lot of running all the time but just like you you know I loved the camaraderie of the team and we had a fun team we had a great coach and for most of the days of practice we would just run around town exploring and telling jokes and trading stories and i just fell in love with running because of the atmosphere around it i got to hang out with my friends and have a good time you know we'll we'll take the track workouts out of there that wasn't a good time but you know the easy <laughs> distance runs were great and uh you know that really instilled in me this love for running and this love for for running with people uh and it, it's just a, a memory that i don't think i'll ever um I'll, I'll ever forget now simon did you you know by challenging yourself to these you know crazy races and events how did that kind of open additional doors in your life for you? Was it, you know, can you trace back certain opportunities to you getting into these ultra endurance events? Uh, That's a good question. You know, one of, one of my uh, personal tenants, if you will, is that nobody makes it on their own. Uh, We all have people who help us and the whole self-made man or woman ideology is a, is a gigantic myth. And anybody who tells me they're self-made you know, I, I view with uh, extreme uh, suspicion. So for me, I've been helped out along the way, and I've had a lot of mentors and people who just, you know, something as simple as, hey, you want to join us for the run? Or, hey, you want to come into our, join the running group? You know, that's that's a gateway. Um, but I would say one of, one of the biggest uh, doors that was open for me that really led me down this path was by a uh, now very close friend of mine named Jeff McInnes. Jeff is from a line of uh, explorers and adventurers. He's a tremendous athlete in his own right, Um, was a national team Canadian skier, and then fell into adventure racing around the same time I was. Um, And when I met him, I just thought, wow, here's a guy who's doing exactly what I would love to do, which is public speaking. Uh, professional adventuring, professional athletics. And, you know, he's got me by uh, 10, 10 years or so. So he wasn't too much older that it seemed unreachable to me. And he invited me to join uh, his Eco Challenge team in 2001. So Eco Challenge, if, if you're not familiar or the listeners aren't familiar, is an adventure race. It was the Olympics of adventure racing back in the day uh, when adventure racing was at its zenith around 2000, 2001. And it was organized by Mark Burnett, who now runs uh, Survivor and The Apprentice and all those successful reality shows. So this was, this was his entry into it. 
Um, so it was a big show for the sport, and that was a huge, huge opportunity that not only gave me a lot of credibility in the sport, but also just gave me the opportunity to learn and have a mentor in a, an arena, I suppose, that I wanted to play in. And through him, uh, it opened the door to me being able to uh, start doing some writing and writing, uh, you know, just general public consumption articles in adventure magazines and things like that. And uh, he was also instrumental in me founding Adventure Science, which is my organization that uh, pairs adventurers and uh, adventure athletes with researchers. And we conduct humanitarian and scientific uh, projects in the field, uh, remote locations around the globe. So, you know, he's he's helped me uh, along the way, as have many other people. But he's been one of the biggest influences in helping me uh, get to where I am now. And then it's like, it's as they say, one door opens and then other doors follow. So um, that was that was the big shift. And I guess the other thing that most people actually don't think about is you need to you need to save your money and create your own little pot of gold before you branch out, or at least that's how I view all these things. So I didn't just uh, decide, all right, I'm going to be an adventurer. I'm throwing everything, uh, caution to the wind, and I'm just going to go start racing my butt off, and everything is going to work out. You know, I worked my butt off in school, get a good job, make a lot of money, put that aside, so then eventually when I was in a position where you know people were interested in listening to what I had to say, uh, you know, we, we were in the position to sell the TV show, et cetera, et cetera. I had a little bit of a, of a buffer should things slow down and also money to invest in the business to help, uh, grow them. So, you know, that, that's probably the two-step approach. Yeah. And I think it's a smart two-step approach. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the eco challenge. I actually had not heard of the eco challenge until I had dinner at, the National Endurance Sports Summit, where we both spoke in 2015 with Marshall Ulrich, Lisa Smith-Batchen, Travis Macy, and Marshall and Travis's father were huge eco-challenge athletes. And this was back in kind of the heyday, you know, maybe the 90s, early 2000s. Um, And these races, I had no idea. They're crazy. Can Can you give us like the one minute uh, synopsis of what an eco challenge entails because it's a wild event. Oh, definitely. Uh, eco challenge is essentially it's a multi sport race like triathlon, except off road and with navigation. And to make it even more uh, enjoyable, they let you race with uh, three of your closest friends or strangers you're choosing, usually co ed teams. For Eco Challenge, it always had to be co-ed, teams of four. And what made them really great was that they would find parts of the world that are generally uh, underexplored and not well-traveled by the average tourist and make use of the terrain. So, for example, in New Zealand, we started uh, in this big open pasture, and I mean miles and miles of pasture, on horses. And uh, from there, you know, we ran and then we uh, we paddled and we mountain climbed, uh, roped in on glaciers, uh, mountain biked. We paddled whitewater rafts. We paddled those rafts across lakes. So, you know, it's more of an expedition as opposed to just a, a straight uh, bury your head, red line at Hammerfest. 
Right. And I think it's helpful to understand an eco challenge as you're basically crossing very difficult and challenging terrain using whatever means necessary. So you mentioned, you know, you're paddling on boats, you're mountain climbing, you're hiking, you're running. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different disciplines. You're riding horses. It's it's a crazy event. And I think, uh, you know, anyone who wants to learn more about it should should go down that rabbit hole because uh, it's just really it's just really interesting. Um, now, yeah, it's still going today as well. There's still lots of adventure races, even though uh, Eco Challenge has uh, left us. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's uh, I'll have to look into those. Now, all this talk of you know adventure races and traveling around the world in far off lands and all this, you know, you, and you touched on this earlier with you know how you kind of dove into doing more writing and starting your companies. I just keep thinking about risk and risk of getting injured, losing all your money, getting sick, lost, you know, how do you balance the need for reducing risk in your life and staying safe with, you know, living and having fun and getting outside your comfort zone and doing all these kinds of, uh, these big events. Cause I think a lot of people have some trepidation about that. Very good question. Uh, risk, risk is probably the, the biggest or somebody's risk, um, tolerance will either be their biggest enabler, uh, greatest liability, or their biggest uh, detriment, which holds them back from really uh, reaching their true potential. So, you know, it's it's interesting. You, you mentioned money, which, you know, people always say you don't need money to buy happiness or money doesn't buy happiness, and I certainly agree with that, but uh, you, you do need money to live. And anybody who tells you otherwise is blowing smoke. At some point, you need money to live. Uh, When we retire, if you want to retire, you're going to need some money. So, you know, there certainly is a balancing act there. If you've got family, um, you know, that's uh, that's significant as well. So, I don't know. I don't have kids. Um, I've just uh, remarried. Uh, So, you know, my risk tolerance and perspective will will most likely change over the next little while but um i've i've never really pushed myself beyond what i felt comfortable and capable of and (laughs) joys of being at the municipal hall here no worries going crazy when somebody pulled up um but to get back to risk um you know, it's it's such a personal uh, issue. I would tell people they need to push themselves, but you don't need to be in extreme environments where death is, is an outcome if you screw up. And I seem to find myself there a lot, um, but I usually feel safe. Uh, there's things you can and cannot control when you get out there. So, you know, let's let's talk about risking it on a, on a half marathon or a full marathon or a trail run. You know, your, your risks are generally minimal. Uh, if you're worried about, you know, health factors and issues like that, I mean, the science shows that runners and healthy people or, or active people just live longer. You know, it, we don't wear down our joints as fast. Yes, some of us, some of us may. I mean, there is a curve that you can follow, and some are going to be on the outlying sides, and you'll pay the price. But I mean, look at Ed Whitlock, right? You obviously know who Ed Whitlock, Whitlock is. Uh, Canadian Masters athlete recently passed away at 86, I believe. I mean, the guy, when he was 75 or 76, he ran a sub three hour marathon, you know, 
Like if he had listened to people saying, well, you're getting too old to run, you're getting too old to train, your knees are going to pay the price. Uh, he would never have, have done something so remarkable. So I think we all need to push ourselves. And it's as you push, you realize what you're capable of. And usually your appetite for more uh, overcomes your, your trepidation that you mentioned. So, you know, risk risk is one of those difficult things to talk about uh, or, or to really quantify for everybody because it's different. We all have different situations. But I am a firm believer that you need to push yourself and risk a little to gain a lot. I think it all comes down to taking calculated risks and making sure that you have a really clear understanding of what you stand to benefit and what you stand to lose if whatever you're venturing either works or doesn't work. You know, I think when it comes to running, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you, uh, you, you don't run as fast as you want to. You look silly in front of your friends and family. But, you know, at the end of the day, none of those things are that important you know the the more important thing is accomplishing a big goal or traveling to a new place to do a destination race you know these are the experiences that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life and you know when we think about you know i i talk to a lot of runners on a daily basis and there is this kind of underlying trend of you know i'd love to run a half marathon i've been running for a month or so i think i'll be ready you know in, in 18 months you know, so a lot of runners put these timelines on themselves that are very um, conservative, and I think it limits what they're capable of doing because they think that you know they need to wait too long to do something, or you know they're not ready for something. When I think you know just by taking a more strategic approach to how they're preparing, they could do a lot more things. And you know the negative outcomes of uh, you know, a failed venture, whatever that might be, is usually not as bad as most people make it out to be. I certainly agree with that. Um, you know, failure, failure has been my biggest uh, tool in learning. Um, if, if I would never have failed, I probably wouldn't have learned as much as I have just through life, um, be it athletics, business, relationships. Um, and, and for me, it goes back to your worst races are your greatest teachers. If you have a great race, so... If, if I go out and I say I want to run a sub 120 uh, half or a sub 110 half or whatever and I nail it, I, I'm, I'm happy and uh, I say, all right, everything went to plan. That's great. Now let's try and go faster. If I have a terrible race and the wheels fall off, I go back to the drawing board and, you know, what went wrong? And you really, you really uh, focus in on your habits and your, your training and maybe some of your mental game and other factors that uh, I think having a better sense of all the elements that are at play when you're chasing these goals is more important than being uh, than having that singular focus. I mean, there's very few of us, and I'm sure most of your listeners are age groupers, right? Uh, right. Most of them, I would say, are somewhere in the, the beginner, intermediate. Uh, you know, some listeners are, are probably more advanced too, but, you know, I don't have any... 62 minute half marathoners probably listening to this <laughs> right so i mean that's that's a different world um although those same rules still do apply but uh yeah i, I would say you know in, in terms of the calculated risks and being too conservative you know sometimes you just have to go for it in, in season one of boundless we just went for it we raced over a thousand kilometers so we did about 700 miles 
human-powered racing over the span of a little, little, little more than four months. Like, as a coach, you would never, ever recommend a schedule like that with, uh, you know, about half of that being running. And uh, of those, I think we did three 250-kilometer stage races, you know, within three three months. So, like, just an insane schedule. But, hell, we didn't know any better. I was feeling fit. Turbo was feeling fit at the time. And we just went for it. So, you know, you learn through these. You learn what you're capable of. And I think it's important to push ourselves every year to take on something that seems a little scary at the time to, to reset and recalibrate because it's so easy for us to get comfortable. And, you know, in my book, I talk about fear of failure versus fear of success, which, you know, also ties very closely to risk and risk tolerance. And, you know, the fear of failure is I don't know if I can succeed and I am afraid of failing, so I'm not going to try. A fear of success it, technically is uh, a fear of what happens to you if you're successful. It, it, I kind of um, view the fear of success, though, as the fear of going all in and the fear of, uh, of putting enough effort in to really be successful. And... I, I think with your athletes and, and people who are a little too conservative, uh, you know, they may be selling themselves short. Uh, maybe they're afraid of failing, so they're too conservative, or they're afraid of going all in and really putting in the time and effort that it takes to be successful. So, you know, I the human psyche is, is a funny thing and uh, kind of makes me wish I'd taken some psychology classes in university to better understand this stuff. All right, Simon, uh, this has been really fun for me. And uh, that's probably, you know, why, I, why I'm still doing this. You know, I get to talk to really interesting people like you. So, you know, as we wrap this up, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and your work. Where can we find out what you're up to these days? Well, uh, thank you. And I've really enjoyed our chat. It's been great to catch up. Um, you can follow me mostly through adventure science so adventurescience.com that's where all the uh the projects are but also um instagram simon underscore donato twitter adventure simon and uh yeah facebook simon donato so yeah i really appreciate uh, the invitation and the chat today jason second time's the charm so uh yeah it's been great to catch up and um look forward to seeing more of the great things that you're doing i love the incorporation of uh uh, the the type of strength training you're doing with your running athletes. Well, thank you, Simon. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a big plug for your Instagram account. You post some really incredible photos of your property up in um, Canada that I think everyone should check out. You're, you're doing some, some really fun things up there. Yeah. And I guess the, the final thing is, um, you know, if people are looking for good adventures and training opportunities, Canada's 30% off this year with your exchange rate and, uh, all national parks, if you can believe it, are free since it's our sesquicentennial, 150 years of being Canada here. So if you want a, a cheap trip trip, and uh, you can't climb over Trump's wall, come north. <laughs> I love it. I should get the Canada Tourism Board to uh, sponsor this. <laughs> exactly. Reach out. All right. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Simon. 
Hey, Jason here with one quick announcement before you head out today. If you want more of these types of interviews, as well as affordable coaching, 30-plus training plans, discounts on gear, fueling products, and other training programs, and direct access to me for all your running questions, then check out Team Strength Running. We're a group of runners just like you who love running and want to improve. We don't care what your PR is, just that you're passionate about this great sport. Head on over to strengthrunning.com slash TSR to sign up for more info about the team. I'm planning on opening it soon, so don't miss all the details at strengthrunning.com slash TSR. Thank you so much for listening. My biggest goal with this podcast is to give you at least one significant insight in every episode to help your running. And I hope that my chat with Simon did just that. Thanks again. We'll be in touch soon.